Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmadufu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So, <laughs> apologies first for, for the, the random cancellations. I was visiting my, my sister and that extended the, the short trip by, by a day. And, and so hopefully, <coughs> people will be rejoining us in addition to, to Dominion, Hania, and Muhammad Kamran and such. Okay, so let us jump right right into the the material. We finished off that last class a couple days ago, talking about elements of the person, and and so just to recap uh, very briefly, we have here's our handy whiteboard, and so one drawing was basically the heart. And extending out of the heart, we have this. And so here is where we have your yearning, your irada. And then this is the, the realm of the heart. Then we have the mind. And then we have the body. And here we have, so irada is your yearning, niya is your intention, and amal is amal, with an ayin, is your, uh, your action. And, and part of the point of this drawing is that we often confuse irada with niya, that we are taught uh, one of the most commonly cited hadith is that actions are judged by intentions, and, and we often confuse intentions with yearning. So for example, if I want a job and I'm just sitting in my bed um, wanting a job, that's irada, that's a desire. Now, when I start making a plan, now it is turned into niya. Even if it's not a complex plan, if it's a simple plan, then it has now become niya. And then when that translates into action, then it is amal. And so <clears throat> we also then connected this with, with parts or dimensions of faith. We said that this is the realm of Islam. This is the realm of Iman. This is the realm of Ihsan. Now keep in mind, these are terms that, are, that we're using all kinds of different ways. So when you have Islam, Iman, Ihsan together. When you have those three together, then they're speaking of levels of faith. And the common approach for personal development is you start with the body, and then you get into the mind, and then you get into the heart. Meaning, first you take control of the body. So the bare minimum of fasting in Ramadan is what? That from sunup to sundown, in that period of time, no food, no water, et cetera, et cetera. That's a realm of the body. And then better than that, as you're taking control of your body, now you're freeing up your mind, your focus on your mind. And so now you're getting your priorities straight, you're getting your intentions straight. And then as you are straightening those out, then your focus is on your heart. This is uh, counterintuitive. We would often think, okay, you straighten out your heart first, and then you straighten out everything else. And to a small degree, that is correct. But the, the key point being that if your body is not in control, uh, 
that is a manifestation of what's going on in your heart, but you're not going to be able to reach the heart because you're going to be too caught up in your body. A simple example of that is the overwhelming majority of my undergrads, their sleeping schedule right now is, is almost 100% upside down, meaning going to sleep at 5 a.m., waking up at 2 p.m., and, and such. And, and so that has to get straightened out before they can even think about you know, their, their heart or, or their mind. This is the general formula. Of course, there'll be exceptions for, 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 for different people. Now, in the context of hypocrisy, so, so the language of hypocrisy is that your heart is diseased. And, and the language of, of, of rejection of faith is that your heart is getting sealed off. And so that was this other diagram that once again, we have Islam to Iman to Ehsan. But how are these, what do these all relate to? This is my journey in getting closer to God. As I get closer to God, I focus on these different aspects of of my of my being these different aspects or, or parts of faith but then we said if your heart is diseased you have two possible consequences one is hypocrisy so when we're saying your heart is diseased what are we effectively saying you're turning away from god you're turning further and further away from god and go for it, we spoke of as your heart getting sealed. And then you can reach a point which is even worse, which is shameless rebellion, where you don't even care. Okay, so may, may Allah protect us from any of these last three. So how does this play out? <clears throat> uh, if I am someone who is truly seeking to get closer to Allah, then I'm going to be refining my behaviors, and I'm going to be turning away from wrong actions. If, however, I'm not turning away from wrong actions, then more than likely what I'm going to start doing is rationalizing them. I'm going to start justifying them. That is the path of a diseased heart. And, <clears throat> and so what we also describe here was that as you are getting closer to the divine, What else is increasing this whole process? What is increasing is your, your selflessness. You're getting more and more selfless and you're getting more and more selfless. In other words, what is decreasing is your narcissism. your obsession with your self. And, and so, so the point being that what is my essential obstacle in this life? It's in my journey to get closer to the divine, my essential obstacle is my own self-love. So even in the journey of faith, whether I'm someone who's starting from one faith looking to another, 
my biggest obstacle is going to be narcissism in the sense that I might frame it as though okay, I am in the search of faith, but more often than not, it's, yeah, it's I don't want to give up my narcissism, my self-love, which is different than giving up yourself. We're talking about giving up your self-love. Likewise, if I'm in a particular state in life already in belief, then what prevents me from getting closer to the divine is going to, again, be my self-love. How does self-love manifest? It could be that I want to change anything about my life, whether it's my routines, my practices, my ambitions, my dreams, so forth and so on. And so that, in a nutshell, is the fundamental challenge of, of life. So, so what we're saying is the fundamental challenge in this life is basically love of self and then by extension, love of, uh, uh, love of, well, let me, let me just write this verse, versus love of the divine. Love of self often manifests as love of dunya. But that in itself is actually a type of love of self, love of the world, love of my attachment or my attachment to the world. And so, so it's as though you have a compass needle. Either that needle is pointing to God or is pointing to yourself. And every one of us is somewhere. Uh, the compass needle is, is pointing closer to one or to the other. The goal is to make a point uh, wholly to the divine. And that's all these different elements. Okay, so now having said that, let us look at this next set of passages So Ayahs 17 through 20, <clears throat> 17 through 20 are, are metaphors. And, and so simple question, anyone, what is a metaphor or a simile? Now, some of you are going to say a metaphor is such and such, and a simile includes the word like. But uh, uh, anyone, whether using your mic or the text box, let me make sure that all those work. Oh, no, it doesn't work. No, it does. Okay. Uh, tell us what is a metaphor or a simile. Anybody? Dead silence. Yeah. Barely nobody knows. Okay, yes, a good one would come on. A comparison between two things. Yes. So now the deeper question. <clears throat> or here, let's make it even easier. Uh, someone give us, anyone give us an example of a metaphor. Anything. Could be a common metaphor. It could be something you yourself use. Raining cats and dogs outside. Raining cats and dogs outside is a very good example. So what does that mean? That it's raining cats and dogs outside. I'm assuming it does not mean that canines and felines are falling from the sky. So... I mean, I thought it would, the rain is fighting itself. Okay, okay, right. Honey, please explain for us, what does it mean? If you like, or not. 
Okay, so basically what it means is that uh, it's raining really, really hard. Okay. Okay, Team Hanin, light as a feather. Okay, another good one. Uh, please explain to us what does that mean? And feel free to either type or speak. I believe it means that you're not light. You're not light? I think I'm sorry. Sense. No, that you, that you are. You're not heavy. You're yeah, not yeah. fat. So, so it means you're, you're very, very light. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, so like if I say, <clears throat> you know, her face is like the sun. Is that a compliment or an insult? It's a compliment. That was totally a compliment, right? It's just full of light. Okay. It's brilliant. You know, if I say he's dumb as bricks, compliment or insult? Insult. Insult, yes. <laughs> Have you ever okay. heard of uh, she's built like a brick house? She's built like a brick house. I'm not familiar with this. Uh, please explain. What does that, uh, what does that mean? Flexible. She's inflexible? I, uh, I like to understand metaphors, literally. Yes, you do. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so yeah, Team Hanin, I don't know what that means. She's built like a brick house. Yeah, I think it means like you're very muscular. Uh, okay, okay, that makes sense. All right. So, so, so these are these are metaphors. Why do we use metaphors? So, Sylvester says, I remember a student describing Professor Mozaffer as useful as a stick and a piece of wood. Okay, I'm assuming that means. That uh, that Professor Mazuffer is not at all useful when it comes to WhatsApp groups uh, or something else. Uh, why do we use metaphors to achieve a meaning that we can't get literally? Yeah, you know, or just to make a, a, a literal meaning easier to 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 understand by way of these these metaphors, you know. If we say, let's see, it would be another metaphor that, uh, um, of course, all this time to try to think of a metaphor. Uh, okay, by using examples that may be easier to comprehend. Yeah, and and so so the point is that, um, yeah, I can't think of any other metaphors. Again, whenever I put myself even on the spot. Nevertheless, let's look at the metaphors that we have here. So in this section, we have three metaphors. The first one is the metaphor of the man and the fire. The second is the metaphor of lightning, of, of the rainstorm. And the third one is the metaphor of lightning. And so, so the first metaphor, Mathalohom, their likeness. So one of our questions is going to be, who is they that we're speaking about? is as the likeness of, and now we have this example. You have this one who is kindling a fire, okay, the one who kindles a fire, and then the light spreads all around him, the light of the fire. Okay. And, and then what happens? Then Allah takes their light away, leaving them in darkness, where, and in which they cannot see and they are deaf, mute, and blind, and they will not return. Okay. 
So, so first question, when we think of, in fact, let me, let me write out these uh, first, just the, these different uses of metaphors. So we have Surah 2, Ayah 17 through 20, 17 and 18 is is the man and the fire nineteen is the rainstorm and twenty is the lightning. Okay, so uh, one metaphor that is very, very consistently used in one way throughout the Quran is the metaphor of light versus darkness. Okay. So the word for light is nur, the word for darkness is dhulum. And this also seems to be consistent across religious traditions, that light is almost always, if not always, positive. And darkness is almost always negative. In fact, in the construction of race in the West, this has been also uh, a whole process of then taking this idea of light and darkness and then applying it to skin color. And then this is where race starts getting developed as, as a concept. Um, so when we speak of Nur, we have a couple uses of this. This is one of the names of God. Nur is one of the names of God. Nur is a common name that people give to their children. They give it to their boys, they give it to their girls. And generally speaking, Nur is associated with guidance. Uh, Tima Hanin, you look like you're about to say something. Yeah, I wanted to ask. You said um, for race, it would that's the concept that's used in the West, but I see it in the Middle East. I see it elsewhere as well. Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely global. It's become global. What's interesting is is uh, uh, if we look at the generation of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so so what is the word for black in in Arabic? Aswad. Aswad, right? And what is the word for someone noble in Arabic? That's, that comes from a similar word. Um. We might use it for a noble man, noble woman. Anyone? Comes from the same word that black comes from. Asmar? So I'm saying it comes from the same word that black comes from. Sayyid? Or Sada? Sayyid, Sada, right? And so, so if we're looking at the generation of the Prophet, peace be upon him, nobility, the, the association to nobility was the color black. Oh. So, uh, but it is definitely a modern thing uh, where, where race is basically consumed so much of the globe 
um, pretty much in every single con uh, continent. Okay, so so darkness vulum is often associated then. What is the opposite of guidance in this context? Oppression. And most often it is self-oppression. This is a point I think we may have discussed, but I'll be discussing over and over again. And the idea here is that if I do something wrong in my relationship with God, if God is not suffering, I'm the one who's suffering. So month of fasting, and let's say I skip a fast for no reason. Okay. Uh, I didn't hurt God, not even remotely, but I have hurt myself. Or suppose I do something wrong to you. And let's say, you know, I steal your money. And so from a worldly perspective, I've given myself a benefit. I've caused you harm. But if I don't resolve this with you, then what happens on the day of judgment? On the day of judgment, I am paying you back which then means I am the one who is suffering, which thus is self-oppression. So anytime you do wrong to someone, you are actually the primary victim. In a dunya perspective, that person is the victim, but when you include the entire picture, then the instigator, the perpetrator, is the actual victim of their own actions, and thus it is self-oppression. Okay. <clears throat> But what about, so light is guidance, light is positive, light is getting closer to God, darkness is getting away from God, and thus oppression. Uh, using whatever knowledge you have of Islam, the Quran, easy question. Think of fire as a negative. What would be an example? Anyone, this is literally the easiest question in all of religion, basically. Your question is how is it how is fire seen negative or positive? How is it used negatively first? Yeah. Negatively punishment. Yeah, exactly. Hell. Yeah, that's that's about as negative as, as we can get. What is a positive use of, of fire in, in Islam? Yeah, there's multiple answers to this. Warmth. I'm sorry, say it again. Oh, warmth. Warmth. You know what's funny is like I lean forward even though I'm wearing headphones. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> my, my daughters always call me out. Okay, so so positive, of course, is the Quran speaks of fire using it for warmth. What else? What's a miraculous story? Doesn't fire purify? So fire, actually, this is another good one. So purification. It's the one that I did not have in mind, but yeah, it's a very good one. Um, story. So the story of Ibrahim, peace be upon him. Yes, that he is calling his people to uh, away from idol worship, and they decide, all right, this is this is such blasphemy. We're going to dump you and burn you to death. And then Allah tells the fire to cool him, and so he is in the fire, and it's actually he's getting cooled as opposed to getting burnt. And then in and yes, uh, uh, Muhammad and Muhammad Kamran and Asna. Uh, that Moses, peace be upon him, he is with his family, they have barely any food, and then in the distance he sees this fire, and he says, maybe I can get some burning embers through which we can cook and get some warmth, and you know, I'll come back, and, and, and let, me go, let me go there. And he goes there, and then Allah starts speaking to him. So yeah, so the point I want you to think about is that fire in itself uh, our default might be to associate it with hell, but 
that is not its default in the Quran in the way that light's default is good. So, so now the way to make sense of a, uh, a metaphor is to take its pieces and to try to draw meaning. So we have Aya, Aya is 17 and 18. And so it says their likeness is as the following. And so we have a man kindling a fire. And then from the light, uh, its light spreads all around him. Okay, so based on what we see so far, is this fire positive or negative? Positive. Yeah, it's positive because it's producing light. So it's light spreads all around him. And then what happens? Allah removes their light. leaving them in darkness. And they can't see. And then deaf, mute, and blind, they will not return. Okay, so that's the whole metaphor. So, so we're trying to figure out who is this man and who are they. Uh, looking at the result of light coming to them, the result of light coming to them is that their own light gets wiped away and gets replaced with darkness. So any thoughts? Yeah. Who is he? Oh. A believer? So, specifically, it's the prophet, peace be upon him. Mm. Wait, the prophet is the man that's kindling the fire? Yes. Yeah, think about it. He's bringing all this light that is spreading all over the place. Oh. And so, it is his light is causing their, them darkness. So who are they? Oh, okay. I misunderstood these verses when I read it. So these would be hypocrites and perhaps also rejectors of faith. So what did the ISA? say? Their likeness is as the following. If a man killing a fire, its light spreads all around, and Allah removes their light. So even hypocrites and rejectors of faith might have some small amount of light. But this light of the prophet, peace be upon him, it's like the sun versus a match. And so, you know, if you're, if you're in a day that's super bright, you light your match, you can barely see the light, the light coming from your match. 
But more than that, this light that's coming is causing them darkness. And so here we're getting another sense of how hypocrites operate. So we've had what so far? We've had attributes of hypocrisy, right? Lying, uh, uh, deflecting criticism, being arrogant, devaluing the community, as well as uh, uh, being two-faced. And then another way in IS-16, we spoke about how life is all about choices, and sometimes you have to choose between right and wrong. And the true believer is going to choose right, even though in the short term it means difficulty, but with the conviction that in the long term it means ease. The hypocrite is going for the quick victory, that in the short term it's going to be ease, even if the long term is, is difficulty. And here we have something else, which in our language is sort of like saying they are allergic to guidance. So, so the idea here is that when your heart is diseased, it's as though you're getting a taste of turning away from God. So think about this when someone has a bad practice. So a bad practice might be, let's say, drinking alcohol or, say, smoking or some other some, something else that is forbidden. And the first time you do it, it tastes nasty. Second time you do it, it tastes nasty. Third time you do it, you start to disregard the nasty taste of it. And somehow you start deriving pleasure from it. And then as you partake more and more, then you start yearning for that nasty taste. That objectively to someone else is going to be nasty, but to you, it starts becoming appealing. And then as you get deeper and deeper, things that are actually wholesome and healthy, you start turning away from. You start rejecting. And so you become sort of allergic to things that are wholesome and healthy. So you have someone who might be so deep in their drinking of alcohol that if you give them orange juice or milk, they might even spit it up. And I'm cautious against using words like addiction and such like that, but as you can see, it's similar to, to uh, that type of, of, of behavior. They were speaking in the context of guidance, that as you're getting closer to the divine, so back to this drawing, as you're getting closer to the divine, you know, I don't know, yeah, you can see my, my pen, you know, getting closer and closer to the divine in this path, wrong behaviors will become more and more repulsive to you. Right behaviors will feel more and more nourishing to you. As so you're someone who's thirsty and you're seeking more of it. As you are in the opposite path, you know, the path uh, that we're defining as the path of narcissism, the path of turning away from God, then wrong behaviors are going to become more and more appealing to you. And right behaviors are going to become more and more repulsive. Yeah, Summer. Oh, just to come, that reminds me, like, I know you talked about alcohol, but I feel like even with healthy and unhealthy food, like when people eat junk food, like healthy vegetables and real food doesn't taste good. And then Absolutely. when you start eating a lot of healthy food, even when you eat chocolate, all you can taste is sugar and chemicals. 
you don't enjoy it in the same way. And, you know, you see people who are enjoying foods that, you know, like whether it's kale or stuff that, you know, and they actually start to have an acquired enjoyment mm -hmm. of the taste that your body rejects or, you know, junk food becomes repulsive to you at that point. That's, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and so we also, through this process, get a taste of one of the most basic philosophies of Islamic law that, um, in fact, here we also said that this is the realm of Islamic law. This is the realm of theology. We'll talk more about theology as it becomes relevant. And this is the realm of the Sufis. And so one of the most basic principles of Islamic law One is simply removal of harm. The idea being that if Allah is telling me to stay away from something, I can also conclude that that is unhealthy for me, that is dangerous for me. Okay. Some of those things we might automatically understand, right? Okay, don't kill people, that's not good. Don't tell lies, we can objectively understand that. And then if Allah is telling me to do something, it's beneficial for me. And so, so this is literally one of the most basic, basic principles of Islamic law. Another one, uh, which I think we've mentioned before, is the establishment, establish uh, stability. Right. When I talked about you know taking control of your sleep schedule, taking control of your diet, taking control of all these different of your tongue, you're establishing a type of stability within yourself. So, again, as I'm getting closer to Allah, these things become more appealing, more delicious for me, and as I'm turning away from Allah, uh, those things become repulsive for me, and then you know like we speak of the forbidden fruit, that becomes more appealing. Uh, appealing for me. And so the hypocrites reach that exact point where guidance becomes repulsive to them. Guidance causes them darkness. The light of God causes them darkness. So as was the case with uh, as was the case with uh, the attributes of hypocrisy we spoke about what should I what should I be doing in terms of my approach? Okay, so guidance repulses Okay, so what should we do? Let's give it a happy bright color. Let's go with orange. What should we do? Uh, We should regard ourselves as thirsty for guidance. That's the approach we should take. 
So a simple prayer, which is often given in the context of people trying to get out of debt, that's a side point, but a simple prayer is, Oh Allah, make easy for me what is halal and make hard for me what is haram. That's a simple prayer to make, especially as we're finishing off Ramadan. Make easy for me what is halal, make hard for me what is haram. And implicit in that, what are we actually saying? Make appealing for me what is halal and make repulsive for me what is haram. Okay, let's stop right here. And then tomorrow, inshallah, we'll get into the metaphor of the rainstorm. Any questions, thoughts, reflections about this or anything else we've been covering or anything not be remotely connected? Feel free to unmute or to type. So why is it that when the hypocrite's light gets snuffed out, they become deaf, mute, and blind? I would mm-hmm. think that light only renders blindless. That, that is, if you don't have light, you can't see. Yeah, and so so for them, so so let's put it like this: <laughs> if you are turning away from Allah, you're turning something else into your god, and more often than not, you're turning your own baser self into your god. Which means that whatever you take as a god, uh, anything that you brings you closer to it is going to. It's like your eyes are going to open to it. You're going to become thirsty for it. You're going to want more. Anything that you feel is going to turn away from God, you're going to shut your eyes off to. And so, so they have some devotion that's essentially their light, but their devotion is to the wrong God. Their devotion is to their own baser self. And so what is the essence of Islam? The essence of Islam is submission. And that becomes the most repulsive thing to the person of hypocrisy even though on the outside they might be presenting themselves as Muslim. So they're turning blind to it. They're turning deaf to it. They can't even speak about it. Make sense? Or not. Yeah. I'm, I'm really bad with metaphors and things. Not that's, I, mean, I mean, if we look at the different ways that Allah has spoken in the Quran so far. Okay, so the different techniques... Uh, for lack of a better word, guiding so far. Uh, We have attributes. Here are some attributes of God. Here are some attributes of the straight path. Here's the attributes of the people of Taqwa. Here's the attributes of the hypocrite, so forth and so on. We have ambiguities. Ambiguities. So alif lamin, that's an ambiguity. And then now we have metaphors. And so for different people, different techniques will be more effective for them. Uh, What we have not yet had are commands. We've not had a single command yet. And so, so yeah, so for some people, metaphors work very, very well. For other people, it's an attribute. Just give me the list and then I'm set. And for other people, commands work very, very well. So other questions, thoughts, reflections about any of this?
nothing else. I think just a small clarification. I know you explained it when it, when it came to the part where a lot, the verse 17, where um, kind of, the, I'm just, I know from Arabic, it seems like a lot took away or went away with their light. Yeah, the Hubble lot. Is it more that, so they have the light, but it's rendered useless, or it actually they have darkness? So uh, I would suggest to think of darkness as a consequence of the lack of light, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to, you know, naturally we're going to frame it as an opposite. And, and so, so yeah, I wrestle with that, that question as well, you know, of the words that are being used, and, and so it seems as though their light is basically, you know, like you said, useless, pointless, does not help them. Mm-hmm. I think it's a real phenomenon that when you have a source of light that that is that is brighter, the other lights around it is darker. Like if you think of a lightning strike, the street lights on the ground, literally you cannot see them, but you can see the lightning. That's a real phenomenon. Right, right. Just, yeah, because I read this verse before, but I never thought of it also in the world, like the, the man kindling the fire is a prophet. And, um, but it's, it, was, it was helpful. Like it's interesting how like, I haven't looked into it beyond the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so that's what we're doing. We're, we're parsing each of these things a little step by step. And, and yeah. Yeah, I read that metaphor and, or those verses entirely wrong. I thought the man that was kindling the fire was the hypocrite. So, so uh, if I remember correctly, you're reading the Halim translation, right? Yes. The Halim translation specifically, I find it fascinating because it, it makes it very unclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the Halim translation, it doesn't say their metaphor is the metaphor of a man killing a fire. It's yeah. their metaphor is, you know, killing a fire or something. Like it skips past this reference to this one man. Okay. And, and so, especially in, in and, and he's a scholar, so I don't, uh, I'm, not a, I, I'm not familiar with why he made those choices. You know, for that specific passage. Okay, that was helpful. Thanks. Any other questions about anything else? Okay, otherwise, we will stop right here. Uh, inshallah, for the rest of the week, let me just make sure we're, we're good. Apologies for those of you who, who, uh, who came to class but did not, um, but when I was not here. Um, we are good for class all the way through to Eid. We can decide if we want class on Eid day or not, or if you all just want to chill and celebrate, um, considering that you can't really go anywhere. Okay, Dominion's like, yes. Uh, I'll give you two options, so Dominion's like, yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll stop right here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika praise and gratitude to you. Nashadu la ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastafiruka, we seek your forgiveness. When natubu ilayk and we turn to you. Okay, may Allah tell reward you all, inshallah, and we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.